Welcome to the Meet Maastricht podcast. I'm Katrina and together with our resident local Lucy, we will be exploring some of the amazing stories that make Maastricht so special. So sit back, relax and join us as we learn about our favourite Dutch city. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 of the Meet Maastricht podcast. I can't believe we're up to episode 14. Uh, how are you Lucy? Yeah. I'm I'm very grateful we had a tiny little bit of rain today mm. and I am hoping very much we will have more. We have uh, a little porcupine walking about our garden who is so desperate in search of water that he doesn't even mind us anymore, which is really disconcerting. Oh, like a hedgehog? Yeah. <gasps> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and what are we talking about today? Yeah, not hedgehogs. No, <laughs> unfortunately, not Sorry. hedgehogs. <laughs> no, it is that would uh, we would we would be finished very quickly. And of course, <laughs> now uh, it it will be a long, long, long story again because we're going back in time quite a bit again. Mm. Uh, we will be talking about the spot that's called under the arches, under the bogen. Mm. And that's that's to the to the west of the uh, Saint Sophia's Basilica. Yeah. And of course, it is you know being being in the city, it is safe to predict that this particular spot saw different occupations, different inhabitants, different functions over time. Yeah. So yeah. when is the beginning of the story? Well, the the uh, the arches are probably from the twelfth. Century. Right. Uh, I suppose everybody who's been who's been walking around Maastricht has has seen them. Mm. They cross the street. They yeah. connect the the west part of uh, the Sinsulvaas. So that's the that's the part with the really tall towers containing the bells. It connects that part of the church with the buildings across the street, and they look like these arches. They look mostly like walls, really. Yeah. Very heavy ancient walls, and mm. you can the street crosses them and the sidewalk as well through these arches, and it looks absolutely ancient. And yeah, well, they've been there for eight hundred years, so they they <laughs> are pretty old. Not quite ancient, but good enough, close enough. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's good enough. Yeah, and they were they were made that way originally to connect the Sylvas Church with. What is called in Dutch the Pose Day, and mm. I had to look that up. You know, <laughs> what is that called in English? And the and the 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 English term for that is the deanery, ah. the abode of the dean. Okay, what does a dean do? Um, that is a, a a job, a function in the church. Right, it is a very uh, a very important one, and they could be doing either one of two possible things. They could be the substitute for an abbot in a convent. That is not the case here. Or they could be the the leader of a collegiate chapter of a church or cathedral. And that is that is what we're looking at here. I have said several times before when we were discussing the position of the church in society prior to the French Revolution, you have to think of it as a state. 
Mm. You know, not not uh, you know the, the, these quaint places where you go on a Sunday. No, these were estates. Yeah, these were large landed estates, and uh, some of them, in the course of the centuries, also fitted out with armies and uh, going on conquest. Uh, but in most cases, at any rate, administering uh, large landed estates, lots of real estate. And on top of that, lots of uh, uh, also territorial rights in one way or another. Mm. So that would that that also apply to Sinsovas and to our sweet lady. And their their governing body would be called a chapter. Okay. And the members of such a chapter would be called canons. Mm. You find that word around Maastricht a bit here and there. Kanuniken uh, are canons. Mm. And these canons would have to serve two purposes connected to their particular church. One would be concentrating on the religious side of things, so the services and the pilgrims and uh, the liturgy and the, all the holy objects that the pilgrims would come visiting, but also the economic side of things you know, running the place. Yeah. So ruling the country, basically. Mm. And that is and that is what the post did, the dean. Okay. So the are the arches do they serve like a structural purpose as well? Or mostly just a visual thing? No, it is it it was it was mainly for practical purposes. If you go and stand between the two of them yeah. with your back to the one that's on the southern side, so that's the side where the St. John's Church is, okay. the one with the red tower. Yes. You have your back to that, and you're facing the other one, standing between the two. You have to look very carefully at the wall, mm. and you will see at mid-height to your right, half inserted in the westwork of the church, a small door. Oh. And if you if you look even more closely, there will be stones jutting out from the wall. They supported a walkway. Ah, oh, so it was sort of like a bridge. Yes, that's what they were for. Yeah, because ah. at the at the moment they don't look like it's it just looks like arches. So I wasn't sure if they were uh, a structural or an aesthetic addition, but it was a, a bridge to yeah. between the buildings. Ah. Yeah, yeah. The dean, the dean would have his own space within the church building, mm-hmm. and the the arches made it possible for him to to cross from the deanery, the day to the church very easily. Yeah, and and then with without crossing the streets and having having to mingle with the plebs, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yes. Is that a, is that a word that is used in English as well? Because yeah, it's it's yeah. A, it's, a, it's mostly yeah, okay. mostly for uh, when you're joking. Uh, there aren't many people who use plebs as a serious term. But, no, um, you can't hear either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it it is it is only to be used in irony because you can't yes. seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, this I hope this this gives you some sense of what a post a dean does because you know that in in today's anglo-saxon uh, vocabulary mm. that 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 doesn't apply at all so uh, but this is the this is the original meaning of it he would he would be the administrator of the worldly goods of a powerful church 
Yes. And you know, in in Sinsalas's case, that would be that would be at the at the very least the the, the territory and the rights of Sinsalas within the city. Mm. You know, not not a small part of that being uh, the 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 fees people had to pay for crossing the bridge. The, okay. the cost of the of of Savas would get half of that. That must have been a sizable sum oh. every year. Yeah. Also, there are the legendary elf banken, <laughs> the eleven yes banks. Really, what they were? These banks were landed estates. Okay. Uh, so, farm houses with. Uh, land belonging to them, producing, of course, uh, marketable goods, mm. and they they fell directly under the rule of the uh, the Sinsalvas chapter of canons, and okay. you know, as in you know, administrated by uh, the dean by, by the post. And where were they mostly? Sort of close by, or all? Yes, my, yeah. the the the, el- the eleven banks uh, were uh, situated sort of all around Maastricht. It is it is impossible. You know, you're welcome to try, but it's impossible really to keep track of all the shifting boundaries of all yeah. the different overlords down the centuries. It is really, it's like a jigsaw puzzle and it is it is very, very tedious to try. I mean, there <laughs> are people who, who, who can tell you about this, but it, uh, it changed a lot over yeah. time. And, it, it, you know, the maps to us today, you know, used as we are to nation stage, states, which cover some sort of area, Look extremely haphazard. Yeah. So they were they were spread around, and one of them, the the Tweeberge, that was that was a small strip of land within the city. So okay. it is also you know to us it it looks weird really. <laughs> and then of course there were there were donations and and inheritances and stuff like that. Uh, so so Savas had had goods all the, reaching all the way into France. Wow. Yeah, and all of that, and all of that together, uh, amounting to well, a pretty self-sufficient, proud, independent state. Yeah. And also because they didn't, they, they didn't really have to to answer to to any overlord that was close by. Sophia's yeah. pretty much only had to defer to the emperor of the uh, Holy Roman Empire. Which of course is not the Romans from Italy, but is the medieval Romans, which were mainly German and far away. So that was nice. Mm. Of, of course, when we will le- when we are leaving the Middle Ages, this type of side of authority, one of the two lords of Maastricht, got handed from one dynasty to another down the ages, and several of those overlords, of course, have have tried to yeah wield more. Authority over this headstrong, <laughs> independent community, and and succeeded to a different extent, uh, depending on the particular characters that were involved at the time. So this is an interesting history all by itself, because you do you do have to realize, yeah. of course, that the the guys who were the rulers were usually the older brothers of the guys who were the canons. You know, these, okay. you know, these were not <laughs> these were not people from the back streets, uh, being the canons of a place like Sylvas or our sweet lady. They used to be 
the, the younger yeah. sons of the noble houses of quite a large area, actually, and many of them German-speaking or French-speaking, mm. but you know, from all over the place. So it was it was not it was not a Maastricht parish church at all. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and I can imagine the uh, the leaders would quite fancy having a little bit more control if it, if they had so much well property and probably some money coming in and and also yes, influence. I imagine that they had influence over the local people yeah. as well as a as an entity yeah. like that. It, so were there nuns as well? Yeah, later. Of course, of course, the, the, okay. the, the, the great turning point, as in so many of these stories, is the French Revolution. When the, mm-hmm. when the French occupying armies marched into the city and um, simply uh, yeah, declared the church uh, annulled, basically. You know, you do not exist anymore. And all, mm. the, all, the, all the property of the church was then the state, uh, the French state to decide yeah. about and all these all these clerics whatever their 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 function was or their rank or their family you know today I described the the social background of these of these canons and you know the, in some cases they must have they must have felt lucky they escaped with their heads uh, but yeah. an entire an entire mm. societal order came tumbling down of course with the with the uh, mm. uh, the French revolutionaries taking over the city and the and the surrounding territories and yeah well you know basically half of Europe and reordering it uh, robbing the church of uh, all its power and all its possessions so that that is where we are at at the beginning of the 19th century and then of course in the right. in the decades after the uh, the French Revolution and then the French Empire so under Napoleon and then the defeat of Napoleon in 1815 and the reordering of Europe after that, Maastricht was then part of uh, basically a Protestant kingdom uh, that comprised present-day the Netherlands, Belgium and Luxembourg, but the ruling house, or the guy who had declared himself king, William I of Orange, was a Protestant. Mm-hmm. And for decades, this is, this is of course a, a, a recurring theme in all these stories about the 19th century, for decades, that was a pretty fraught relationship this Protestant king and his Catholic subjects. didn't work very well. Yeah. So in 1830, the South rose up in revolt. Uh, we, we've discussed this before. Of course, that is also a recurring theme. Yeah. And, you know, these, these are these, these crucial crossroads in the, in the history of the town. Of course, Maastricht would have risen up in revolt as well if it not had had a garrison with a commander who remained loyal to the Dutch authorities. And in 1839, this was decided, and then uh, Maastricht was to remain Dutch, which explains the shape of the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, and relationships were not were not really uh, easy and peaceful for quite some time between the Protestant kings of the north and the Catholic populations in the south, and 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 of course also uh, the Catholic elites in the south and. And so in in that in between time during the after the French Revolution and during the revolt and things what was that building the under the arches on the building on the western side of of Savas was that being used for it was a private residence okay yeah. so someone lived there yeah of course because because of wow. course the dean was was expelled he, and yeah 
yeah, yeah he was, was uh, his 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 position and his possessions were taken away from him so the building stood empty and uh, it was it was used for a while this is also extremely ironic it was used for a while by these occupying french forces uh, as a sort of as a sort of archive where all the all the archives that they had had robbed and looted from all over everywhere uh, where they were uh, put mm. together and what they what they were doing with these archives was selecting all the documents that had anything to do with rents and mortgages and yeah, possessions so any anything worth okay. money all the all those documents were yeah. selected and all the rest was destroyed yeah wow Ulterior motives yeah. going on, not just uh, collecting yeah, no, archives. No, it was not that. No, they were only collecting the archives to figure out where the wealth was. So it wasn't yeah. collecting the archives for the archives' sake. It was only fi finding out no. who owns what and what can we what can we take mm. and what can be what can be sold and and at what value. And so after things had settled and the revolution was squashed. What happened after that? Because it's now it now has nuns, or oh, there were nuns. But uh, uh, th there was a, as I said, there was a family living there as of as of eighteen sixteen. Yeah. And then for that, that that's the, they remained there for for several years. What happened in the meantime is that yeah, well, of course, uh, from time immemorial, this this particular spot, the deanery and the church, of course, had been closely connected. You know, as as is still visible today because of those two uh, dark, menacing-looking walls. Uh, but the, the the church also was, of course. Very, uh, very much, you know, fallen from grace. Let's put it that way. In 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 all sorts of ways. But they they did manage to to have a pastor again as of eighteen o eighteen o five. Okay. And well, he he did not really manage to be of any kind of assistance really to the populace during this terrible period of 1830 to 1839, when Maastricht was basically under siege and closed off, and basically everything everything was cancelled, and everybody was every type of development was stunned by the fact that people couldn't freely move about they couldn't leave the city as they pleased yeah and within the city life pretty much came to a standstill we also we, we, we discussed this also when we talked about the moments there was no carnival for nine years but there was also you know no no schooling no there was there wow. was everything was had come to a standstill and and of course there were the, the priests that remained and that that had a social conscience were were really disturbed about this and and tried to get something in the way of education going and when this was still under the under the first pastor post revolution pastor of the savas not a lot worked but the yeah. second one and his name was van beer he managed to, you know, driven driven by uh, the ambition to actually mean something to the people of the city. He yeah. managed to uh, 
to get some initiatives going. He was extremely concerned about all the moral decay and about all the youth running loose and uh, he was very much convinced uh, schooling was of the essence. Yeah, must have had a huge impact on that particular generation yeah. that was, you know, because that's a, a yeah. large chunk of time, yeah. nine years. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he especially wanted to um, provide education to girls because, of course, the, you know, the, the, the first people that are targeted when there are concerns about the morality of a populace is the women. Apparently, we yes. are responsible for keeping up the morals of a place. The funny thing is that he started, he started a, a little convent of sisters, nuns, who were to be responsible for teaching girls. And at the same time, this is one of these, one of these, when really, you know, you can't think these things up. There was a lady in Maastricht, her name is Elisabeth Greuters, and uh, she was working mm -hmm. as, a, as a servant in, a, in a, a housekeeper in a Maastricht family. And sh she really yeah. wanted to be in a convent. You know, so this was this was not a nun who had lost her convent, but this was a lay woman who wanted to join a convent. But of course the the French Revolution okay. had ended all of them. So so there were no convents. Yeah. No, she had to wait a while if she yeah. was uh, if she was old enough, I suppose. By a quirk of history, these two people uh, well well she she wanted to join a convent and be a nun but in order to care for the sick. And for the time that there was no convent she could join, she was already visiting the sick people in the hospital that Maastricht had at the time, uh, Calvarienberg. Yeah. Also founded by a woman, but uh, a lot earlier. And uh, mm. by, by a, a quirk, fate, whatever you want to call it, this pastor of St. Sylvain and this Elisabeth Gruyters did find each other and their mm. ideas about wanting to make an institution of nuns who could teach especially female children you know that totally that totally coincided mm. and they so they founded an order of nuns and okay the correspondence surrounding all of that was uh, really ridiculous because of course it freaked out the Dutch authorities you know and, and especially <laughs> in this in the, during this, this period of 1830 to 39 they were you know there were the, the reactions from The Hague which is ridiculous and it it helped and this is again we've met him in the Mormon story as well the, the then commander of the garrison uh, Gerike van Herwijn. He didn't. He didn't react so very hysterically. Mm -hmm. He didn't. He didn't with Mommers, and he also didn't with this particular initiative. So he helped yeah. getting permission from the king to finally, in 1838, to to start this nuns convent in order to be able to teach children. And then they, mm -hmm. this order, bought the former deanery from the widowed Mrs. Beer who was still living there. So so it went from okay. it went from being a deanery to a private house to a convent. And then we then we are uh, smack in the middle of the 19th century and and for about a hundred years the, the the sisters extended and restored and replaced and <laughs> you know, almost 
almost non-stop building activity going on for for all the functions yeah. that uh, needed to be housed in the area that they were that they were using, and that was that that is really really mm. impressive. All the functions that they were fulfilling, because it was uh, they were not only dealing with uh, education. They have seen to about mm -hmm. three, four, five schools, elementary schools. They uh, they also had training college for nuns, so to speak, on the grounds. They had they had okay. a sort of could you call that a pension, a building? Because in Dutch it's called a pension, and it's where it's where, where people can can mm. live. So they they would one wing of of the the extensive uh, buildings was dedicated to uh, women who did not want to be nuns but who liked to live in the in the quiet and the safety of a of a convent. Oh, oh I'm not sure mm. what you'd call that. That's really interesting that there were women who and that there was a space for women who didn't want yeah. to be a nun but but wanted to live there. There yeah. always have been. Some some of the an, an, a very old form of that is it uh, is it Martinez Hofje? Those were those were independent mm. little houses, but all gathered together around the courtyard. Mm. I imagine near the in the convent, you there there were single women. You yeah, couldn't. Yeah. They were. Yeah, they would have had they, to they be, would yeah. be. They would be single, and they uh, yeah. were, you know or never married or widowed. And uh, it would depend yeah. on their on their means, what what they could afford. Of course, some convents would have been more higher class than others, but quite a few of them. We, we talked about this as well when we were talking about the uh, the Capuchins Court. There was a there was a, a, yeah. a guest house, I suppose you would call it, for women as well, with the nuns who who uh, used those spaces for a while. So there were there were more. Mm. There were more. Yeah. Anyway, it is it is quite fascinating to to see everything that those nuns uh, became responsible for over the course of the decades. Apart from mm. educating children, they also took care of the sick. You know that was the that was the of course the original vocation, so to speak, of their founder Elisabeth Gruyters, and they they have been doing that yeah. until in the in the 1980s. The last nuns were were leaving their nursing positions at the uh, hospital Saint Anadol, and that is just before the hospital moved to the other side of the city and became the Maastricht mm. University Medical Center. Okay. And they don't have any nuns there anymore. The last nuns left the hospital in the in the nineteen eighties, yeah. and uh, and of course it it, yeah. it it went the same way with the with the schools. They they founded this string of schools, but in the sixteen sixties and seventies, the uh, the number of children in the inner city decreased dramatically. So quite a few of these yeah. schools no longer exist. They've been they've been demolished. And what decreased at the same time was mm. the amount of vocations in the convents. I mean they they used to have dozens of dozens uh, of new nuns every year and that and that decreased mm. to a handful a year. So the yeah. The, the convent yeah. in its uh, in its present state, like so many former convents is uh, a nursing home. Yeah. Okay. All right. Is there are there still nuns as yeah, yeah. part of yeah, the nursing definitely. home? Yeah. There's there's still there's still nuns of this order, which which is officially named the the Sisters of Charity of Saint Carolus Borromeus. That is their name. <laughs> 
they are still mm -hmm. uh, in the buildings at onder de bogen. And what is and what is also yeah. there is a, a large uh, building dedicated to uh, a retreat. So you can you can go there and stay there, and they will organize uh, courses and things. And during during the music yes. festival Musica Sacra every year, although it will be interesting to see if it will be this year. There will usually be concerts in their church as well, which is, you know, a very rare chance to be in those uh, inner city courtyards. Because yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating to see. Yeah. You know, you only see these these buildings on the street side, but if you can, if you can find an open door, if you are received there, and you know, you are <laughs> invited into the inner courtyards, you can see that there are large gardens. Because the, the 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 buildings of the of this particular convent they extend from onder de bogen, so that's behind the Sylvas church, to the back of the second church of the Lesser Friars, so now the administration building of the university, and to the Kommel. And all of that in between there is their garden. Wow. Yes. That's quite a big space, yes. yeah. Yes, we'll 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 find some aerial photos that that will clarify. Because, well, you know, I've I've said this many times before. Once the once the second wall of Maastricht was constructed, um, there remained lots of empty space in between the streets radiating out until until the 20th century. Mm. And and this is and this is yeah. an instance uh, j just as with the with the bro brothers of the Bayard, they still have a huge garden in the middle of the city. So yeah. the sisters under the Boger also have a huge garden in the middle of the city. One last aspect of this particular sisters convent. So it was it was founded in yes. in Maastricht, but in the course of the of the decades, it spread out over the Netherlands. So there are several other convents were founded by these sisters of Maastricht, and oh, yeah. in the decades mostly after the Second World War, they spread out all over the world. So they are also a missionary order. And also, also uh, this okay. is analogous to the, to the Brothers of the Bay Act. They also have been missionaries all over the world. So the, the youngest people in this order, and this is both for the brothers and the sisters, the youngest people are in Indonesia or in Sierra Leone or in Mexico or you know okay so once in a while once in a while you will see that uh, uh, people belonging to a religious order with a, a Maastricht habit you know as in clerical clothing but um, yeah. people who are obviously from other parts of the world so that yeah yes wow, so that's I, I think I think that's a nice sort of maybe not quite the last chapter in these in the story of these congregations, which which started in the 19th century, both the brothers of the Bayat and the sisters of Honor de Bourg, yeah. and they had they had hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, brothers and sisters who mm. educated basically all the children in this city. Yeah, well, the brothers, we we when we spoke about that, they they educated so many people, and sounds like the yeah. the sisters did it as well. Did the same thing, yeah. And that, and that also, you know, they were they were instrumental in in healthcare for decades on end, and yeah. they have been also crucial in professionalizing these professions. You know, they became actual nurses and yeah. midwives, and specialized in all sorts of ways, and wrote the handbooks 
and they they uh, try to organize a, a higher professional grades for the nursing profession as well yeah so we, we we owe that to the nuns and you know and and then at the same time uh, spreading this kind of work and this kind of knowledge uh, to all parts of the world mm. and um, finding younger generations who want to who want to continue this in in their own country yeah I'm I'm really happy that sort of we've spoken about it because it's I think my own biases and preconceptions about nuns probably limits them in in the things the amazing things that they achieved and the power mm. that they actually sort of held yeah it's amazing what what we owe sometimes to to groups of women who well they gave women a safe space to go and built the nursing profession and yeah it's amazing to yeah. hear yeah. yeah. So I think that's us for Under the Arches, unless you have anything to add. No, I think this will do. My my voice is giving out. <laughs> and well, if you have a chance, you can uh, have a walk under the arches if you haven't been under them yourself. And like Lucy said, have check out um, the little door and see if you can see where the, the bridge was. Uh, that's what I'll be doing mm-hmm. next time I'm in the city. And what are we going to be talking about next week? Yeah, I'm. Ju- I'm just. I'm just sticking with the clerics. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a tiny little hidden gem, and it's called the Saint Andrew's Chapel, or the Chapel of Saint Andrew. Well, yeah. Try and figure out where that is. It's well <laughs> hidden again. Yeah. Good. Good. That's what it's. That's what we're all about, isn't it? <laughs> the yes. little hidden places. Thank you so much for joining us today and don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook by searching Meet Maastricht and on Instagram at at meet underscore Maastricht. If you would like to learn more about us, you can also visit our website at meetmaastricht.eu where you can buy tickets and subscribe to our monthly newsletter so you're always up to date. Thanks again and tune in next time to learn more about our beautiful city. Tot ziens.